0: In the pulpit this evening, a guest preacher, the Reverend Dan Perrin, a good brother, fellow servant here in our uh, presbytery that covers central Pennsylvania. Uh, Reverend Perrin is currently serving as interim pastor at Faith Reformed in Coryville, and we're delighted that he uh, is uh, willing and able to be with us this night uh, to bring God's word to us. It's a great joy to be here this evening. I have had the privilege of preaching here a number of times over the years and have worshiped here several times, and I always look forward to those times. But it's good to see you. Thank you for having me, and thank you for enduring me tonight. This, this evening, I want to share with you a passage <clears throat> that I have been thinking about a lot recently the Lord has laid on me a real sense of what we as a church ought to be doing in interceding for others. And so this passage comes out of that. I haven't yet had a chance at Faith Church to talk about these things because I'm in the middle of a sermon series on 1 Peter. And so they're going to have to wait for a while as I work to develop this, but I wanted to share it with you tonight. So we come to Job chapter 42. It's the end of the book of Job. And if you look in your Bibles, you will see that it is listed as the epilogue, the final trailer to the book. And so we come to read what Job says to us about what God says to him. Beginning with verse 7 After the Lord had said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken of me what is right. As my servant Job has so now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves my servant Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job so Eliphaz the Temanite Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar, the, Am- the Neamathite did what the Lord told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord made him prosperous again and gave him twice as much as he had before. Amen. And Heavenly Father, tonight, would you speak to us through your precious word. Encourage us strengthen us and guide us that we might hear and be challenged by you O holy spirit O lord we are grateful for your word which is without error and we commit ourselves to it as we commit ourselves to serving you and we pray this in jesus holy name amen this business of intercession something you all are familiar with it's it's not like i'm coming with a whole brand new idea i'm not doing that at all but i want to remind us that god calls us to intercede for people to intercede in the world to intercede for the nation of taiwan and the darkness that is there as well as the believers who struggle God calls us to be intercessors, and we are to pray faithfully for those who can't pray for themselves or who won't pray for themselves. And the Bible is just full of these examples. And if you don't mind staying for three or four hours, I'd be glad to show you a number of them. Well, maybe I won't do that, but I'd like to. But anyway, as we look at this whole concept, we need to recognize that God calls us to this, and Westminster Church really has a very good reputation for doing these things. You know, I've watched over the years, I see how God uses this church, and I want to commend you, and I want you to know that as I talk about intercession, I'm well aware of how much you all do. However, I also want to say that we need to be encouraged to go further, to go far beyond what it is that we think we're doing pretty well with. And so I'm going to challenge you tonight to ask the Lord what he would do in calling you to something deeper and more committed. You see, this business of intercession is more than a pastoral prayer on Sunday morning where we pray for sick people and we pray for the church and we pray for people in the community and we pray for the culture. Those are good things, and that is intercession, but it's more than that. It's more than going to one of your small groups or your prayer group or your evening service and and praying for certain things. That's good, but is it what Jesus has called us to do? Or has Jesus called us to something greater? And in that, we come to Job. Job, who shows a lifestyle of intercession. It's our call by God to pray. And as we pray, God calls us to bring his plan to pass not to try and change his mind. And that's an important thing to hear because so many times our prayer boils down to, Lord, I really need you to do this and and I don't know what you're planning, but would you instead do what I think? Oh, I struggle with that. If I struggle with that, so do you. But that's what this whole thing of intercession really calls us to avoid. And yet God uses it to fulfill his perfect plan even though we can't begin to recognize it. I want you to turn with me to the beginning of Job, to Job chapter 1, verse 1. It's very interesting what we see here because we see at the beginning and at the end the two places where we tend to read through quickly because we want to get to to the body of this incredible book But we see something about Job's life. Verse 1 In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the earth, uh, of the east. And his sons used to take turns holding feasts in their homes, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them, and when a period of feasting had run its course, Job would send and have them purified. Early in the morning he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. Isn't it interesting that the bookends around this this book of Job are about Job's prayer life and Job's position before God of interceding for those around him, the ones that were special to him. Job, we are told, regularly interceded for his children. You parents and grandparents... Hear that, because we're called to do that. I'm sure you do. The question I would raise is, do you do it enough? But Job was called to care for and to intercede for his children. And so he did that regularly. It's fascinating to me to think about him going there, afraid that they might have, well, you know how kids are. You know how young adults can be, and, and afraid that they had gone too far in their revelry. And so he would pray and offer sacrifices and ask God's forgiveness. And in doing that, he was demonstrating to his children the right way as opposed to the wrong way. Job took seriously his responsibility to be the priest of his family. And we are the priests of our family, and it tells us a lot about our responsibility to intercede for our children we need to pray regularly for our kids and for our grandkids and our great-grandchildren and for wayward children we need to be praying for children who don't care that we're praying for them that doesn't matter to them but it does to God so what does intercession look like at that point now I'm not going to stay here but I want to tell you a story Heard this story years ago. It's the story of a young couple by the name of Mike and Chris. They met in college. They fell in love. They got married, graduated, and somewhere in that process, they became believers. And they became quite serious about their faith. And God blessed them with two children, Jimmy and Susan. And so we see them raising their children to know and love the things of god praying faithfully for them every night after his children would fall asleep mike would slip into their rooms kneel at their bed and pray for them i used to do that with my children what a joy it was as i would put my hand on their sleeping heads and pray for them pray for their protection pray that they might be faithful to the lord that's what what um mike and and susan were doing or mike and chris i mean were doing well the kids grew up as kids tend to do and they went off to college and one day as susan had gotten home from college for a while she was standing in the kitchen watching her mother make dinner and they were talking and unexpectedly she said mom does Daddy still come in my room even though I'm not here and kneel by my bed and pray for me? And Chris said, yeah, he still does. And then she said, how do you know that he does that? We have never talked about that. And she said, because I can see his footprints in the carpet. See, that's intercession, when the footprints really make a difference. We are called as God's people to leave footprints. I used that story as, a, as the anchor for a whole two month or three month series a number of years ago on footprints because it helps us to see what God calls us to do with our lives as we serve him. But part of that whole thing is placing an umbrella of prayer over our loved ones. An umbrella that that will shield them from the very things that might harm them. We ought to take that seriously. When my mom and dad died, it's been a lot of years now, but when they did pass away, there was one thing more than anything else that I missed. Them praying for me and for our family. I mean, I missed being with them. My dad was my best friend and, and my discipler, and so you can see the things I would have missed. I loved my mom, but the thing that I missed the most was the umbrella of prayer that they put over our lives. I remember dad saying that after he had retired and they had time to do it, they were praying, and one day counted up that they were praying for about 300 people a day faithfully it's interesting because many of my cousins came to salvation after that even though they still to this day know nothing about mom and dad praying for them but that's what we're called to do and it becomes a helpful metaphor for us to understand the protection of prayer in the lives of our loved ones We see this this sense of God's hand doing the very same thing to people. In in Exodus chapter 33, Moses has broken the the tablets of the Ten Commandments and has been called by God to go back up on Mount Sinai and get another copy. And while he is there, he and the Lord talk together. And finally, after a lot of communication, Moses says, God, you say that you really love me and that you really are blessing me. And if that's true, let me see you. It's hard to not be able to see God. And so God said, okay, Moses, I will let you see me. And so the book of Exodus tells us that God passed before him. But before God passed before him, he took his hand and he put it over Moses to shield him because God had said that no man could see his face and live. All Moses could see was, as the Bible tells us, his hind parts. But he was protected from the danger of the glory of God by the very hand of God. Or in the 121st Psalm, it is very clearly hinted at, not necessarily directly said, although it's said elsewhere, but in the fifth verse of that beloved 121st Psalm. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day, nor the moon by night. Again, the protective hand of the Lord, that's what this umbrella of prayer does for those in our lives and for so many others. It's what God calls us to put there, but it takes a lot of effort and a lot of work. You know, we're called to pray not just for our loved ones, not just for our children. We are certainly called to pray for them, but we're called to pray for non-believers, people who can't pray for themselves, one, because they don't have any inclination perhaps, but two, God doesn't commit himself to hear and answer their prayer. It's the prayer of God's saints. It's your prayer that makes all the difference for them. And so we see them being prayed for. Oftentimes I've told somebody that I'm praying for them and they'll say, nobody ever told me that they did that before. Isn't it fascinating? Because that same umbrella of prayer is something that God has called us to do so we pray for rebellious people we pray for people who who have no interest now i want to say that that i have been careful over the years when someone asked me to pray for aunt mary's great grandson you know i i'll pray for aunt mary's great grandson up to a point but i'm busy with other prayer requests and so i focus on those and and i ask the lord to show me the ones that he wants me to really commit there's a man in our church in cincinnati i prayed for for 15 years i prayed for him for 15 years not because i am faithful but because his wife was and about every month she'd say dan are you praying for mark and finally got to the place where it's easier for me to pray for mark than to say no it's not a message of faithfulness But for 15 years, and then one day, I got a phone call from Mark. He said, Dan, can we have breakfast tomorrow, which happened to be Maundy Thursday? Very appropriate weekend. And so we went to Perkins Pancake House, as it was called then. And we sat down together, and Mark said, you know, I think it's time for me to ask Jesus to be my Savior, but I don't know how to do that. And my response was, Mark, you already have but we need to pray together to solidify that answer. You see, God calls us to put that umbrella there, and as much as I felt like not keeping it there, God kept saying, no, you keep praying. And so the Lord does that when we take seriously the call to be praying for people. God expects us to pray, and he expects us to look for answers. In the book of James, James in chapter 5, verse 16 has, has a very interesting passage. Again, it's right at the end of the book, and by the time we get there, we're tired of reading the book of James, so we tend to look past it, but listen to this. In verse 16, Therefore confess your sins to each other, and pray for each other, so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave up rain, and the earth produced its crops just a a quick interlude here the way that's written tells us that Elijah didn't just pray okay Lord it's time to stop the rain he was on his knees begging God to do that which God had told him he was going to do but that that Elijah had to be praying for and then James goes on and he says my brothers If one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. So the business of intercession has to do with prayer, but it has to do with more. It has to do with standing in the gap. Now, some of you have really committed yourselves to praying. And I rejoice in that. There are others of you, and, and I hear about it from various places, there are others of you who have committed to be standing in the gap, particularly for our culture. And you are very involved in in a political process of standing up and and confronting the world about its sin, about its rejection of the standards of God, and and it's... Hatred for the things of God, for the whole focus on biblical marriage and abortion and, and the other things that our culture has so focused on. Some of you have made that a great focus. You stand in the gap between the culture and God's wrath. And I really need to rejoice that you're doing that. I want you to turn back with me to Job chapter 42 because this really is our text here. But in Job chapter 42, Job has finally gotten through that miserable, horrible time that made no sense to him. And he had been faithful, although he stepped over to the line, but he didn't step over it. But his three friends had. And so the Lord says to Job, I would destroy them if it weren't for your prayer. So you pray for them and I will hear your prayer and I will forgive them. They had brought offerings before the Lord to Job because he was acting as a priest, but his job was to intercede, to stand in the gap between God's anger and the unrighteousness of these three friends. And we are told that Job prayed and God forgave. Understand what that says to us, what an important thing it is as we pray for the culture, as we pray for individuals, as we pray for people who have demonstrated themselves to be unfaithful. But as we pray, God hears and God answers. But he calls us to really pray, not just in a cursory way. I I was thinking of our prayer requests this morning at church we had a a wonderful service this morning and we had a wonderful congregational prayer and we prayed for a bunch of people and that was really good but it was kind of like lord pray for this person this person and this person because they are sick and pray for this person because they're going through difficult times well that's intercession light but god's called us for something more than that the Apostle Paul tells us in a very strange way about what intercession looks like. In the book of Colossians, chapter 4, verse 13, so it's right at the end of the book of Colossians, Paul is bringing greetings from a number of people, and he says this Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greeting. He's always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. It was interesting. I was in a Bible study earlier this week, and we were looking at at this particular chapter. I was already planning on using it tonight, but, but we were talking about this, and we were talking about the people that were here, and they skipped right over this. Totally missed it because it's one of those things you know you're getting on to the next person but let me tell you who Epaphras was we don't know a lot about him but he was one of Paul's lieutenants he was one of the inner circle of Paul's ministry team he was one of the men Paul depended upon the most and look at this description he is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God He didn't just pray, oh God, bless Tucker, and then move on to the next thing. But he prayed specifically and he prayed hard. And so Paul says he was wrestling in prayer. Now, I'm not exactly sure what wrestling in prayer looks like. But I do know this that when you are praying and wrestling for somebody, you are praying for their forgiveness and for their protection and for their faithfulness and that they might be salt and light. And so many other things. And so God calls us to that. God calls us to stand in the gap for a godless culture. The Bible has so many examples of that. In Exodus 33, we see Moses standing in the gap. God says, I am so mad at the Israelites for the golden calf and for rejecting my word, I'm going to destroy, destroy them. And Moses' response is, if you're going to destroy them, then destroy me with them. And so out of Moses standing there, God said, okay, I will send them into the promised land and I won't destroy them. And I will send my angel to lead them. And then Moses says again, no, we can't survive with just the angel of the Lord. It has to be you. And so God says, okay, God didn't change his mind. It was Moses' prayer that God used to bring about God's plan. Don't forget that as you pray. Or in Nehemiah chapter 1 nehemiah has heard a report about how terrible things are back in jerusalem because the people who have gone back from the babylonian captivity are just wretchedly poor and in real danger and listen to this prayer of nehemiah this was prayed before he went to jerusalem O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelite We Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the decrees and the laws you gave your servant Moses. There is Nehemiah standing between God and a people who were quickly falling away from God that he might not let that happen. A few generations earlier, we see Daniel... Daniel up in the upper room on his knees praying toward Jerusalem what do you think he was praying about it wasn't oh Lord I know that the king has said that if I get caught doing this I'm going to be killed no his prayer was for faithfulness that God would take his people and keep them faithful and not let them lose their distinctives and lose their faith and and become part of the Babylonian culture but that they might stand firm And as much as I can understand that passage, it seems to me that God was using Daniel sometimes alone as the only intercessor. But he calls us to pray like that. He calls us to confess the sins of our culture. And as we pray for the culture, yes, we can confess those sins as we have rejected as a culture the Bible and its standards. As we see how our culture has brought about abortion and rejected the sanctity of human life and rejected the sanctity of marriage and the family and glories and immorality and we ought to be confessing those things before the Lord. We ought to be praying for the persecuted church. You know, this is a whole sermon in itself and I'm gonna cover it in one sentence. God calls you to pray for his brothers and sisters and my experience is very few of us do it with any real passion. God calls us to be salt and light. That's what Jesus said. And being salt and light means that we go there and we stand between the people and their, and their sinfulness and God and his wrath, begging God, as Jesus said, to send workers into the harvest. One more thing that I want to say about this. It's the ultimate intercessor. That's Jesus. Jesus interceded for the people. We see Jesus cleansing the temple. Why did he do that? Well, the standard answer, and the one that I believe, was he was preparing the temple for the entrance of the sacrificial lamb, Jesus. Okay, that's out of the way now because there was more that he was doing. He was also interceding for the people of Israel, giving them one last chance to repent because he knew that the destruction of Jerusalem was only a generation away and that Israel was not listening. And so Jesus was standing between them and the Father that they might have one last chance to hear and respond. And of course, after that, we see thousands coming to salvation in the first century church in Jerusalem. We see Jesus hanging on the cross and as he's hanging on the cross the thief next to him says remember me in paradise and Jesus says this day you will be with me in paradise Jesus standing between that thief and eternal damnation I don't know if you've ever thought much about what Jesus thought about on the cross but let me tell you what what the Bible certainly hints at and I fully believe that on the cross as Jesus hung there he had become sin the sin of the world had been placed upon him and as he hung there the horror of sin filled his mind suffocating him many people say that Jesus died because the horror of the sin that was on him was so terrible and perhaps that's true but it was more than that because the demonic spiritual forces had gathered there and in the greatest power display that we could imagine, Satan and his demons were in Jesus' face shouting at him and laughing at him and cursing him, laughing because they had won and he had lost. The horror of that, the, the, the pain, far greater than the physical pain of his suffering. But that's not all. I believe because he was dying for you and for me that our faces were before him that he would see us as we stood there and then we see Jesus with the father at the day of judgment and what goes on there well he is our intercessor so I stand before the Lord and his response father Dan Perrin is my son I died for him, and so you can let him in because I have prepared the way for him to go to heaven. And it's true for you as his child. What a wonderful, wonderful place of intercession that the Lord Jesus gives to us and models for us. One more place where we see Jesus interceding, it's in Luke chapter 22, verse 31. They're still at the Last Supper and they are talking about what's coming and Jesus is saying how they all are going to abandon him and Peter says, not me, not me, I'm not going, I'll stay with you. And then Jesus says these chilling words. Peter, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that you might not fail and when you have turned back strengthen your brothers can you imagine what would have happened to peter if jesus had not been praying for him jesus who's ready to face the most incredible horror that man could ever concoct and he's praying for peter he's interceding as god the father had called him to do and see our call is to be like that to have this commitment that is a lifestyle commitment that requires us to go somewhere else. And so this evening, I want to give a challenge to you. Oh, congregation, you, you wonderful people who love the Lord and who do it well. I want to challenge you that you might start asking the Lord how and where He wants you to be really interceding. Let me suggest that you get a notebook. Many of you have prayer notebooks anyways, but maybe get a different notebook, one that's just for intercession, and that you set aside a time each week, an hour, two hours, maybe more than that, where you are praying and interceding and asking God to bring out of the mess the people who are encompassed in it, that you take time to remember this and pray for it. Take time each week, different from your quiet time, where you might be praying and interceding in a particular way as as your Savior did, as Daniel did, as Moses did, as Elijah did, as the great leaders of the church have done, that we might see the power and the beauty of God turn this world around for his glory. Would you join me in prayer? Oh, Heavenly Father, it's a big challenge, but help us that we might hear it and take heed of it. And so, Heavenly Father, we commit to you these things. Help us that we might bring glory to your name. Oh, Lord, help us that we might love you more greatly and that we might proclaim your goodness, your faithfulness in our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.